You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. Since the beginning of December, we've learned that hours before the insurrection, Donald was conferring via phone with people like Bannon and Giuliani in an effort to come up with ways to stop the certification of Biden's election. We've learned there exists a PowerPoint presentation outlining for Donald recommendations for declaring a national security emergency in order for him to stay in power. We've learned that Letitia James, New York's attorney general, has subpoenaed Donald for his testimony in connection to her fraud investigation into the Trump Organization. And relatedly, a second grand jury has been impaneled to be presented evidence of more of the organization's financial wrongdoing, which may end up with criminal charges being filed. We've learned that Donald and his administration intentionally undermined the COVID response of the Centers for Disease Control, practically guaranteeing more people would get sick and die. And finally, we've learned that Donald tested positive for COVID on September 26, 2020, a full week before he was hospitalized and during which he came into close contact with and potentially endangered at least 500 people, including the future president of the United States. I mean, what the hell else do we need to know? Seriously, make this make sense to me. Is it just inertia? Is it because it's taking so long? There's no sense of urgency anymore? Is it Decades worth of normalizing him have made him invulnerable to consequences. But we're not just talking about jaywalking here. Donald is potentially being implicated in crimes against humanity, crimes against his own country. And yet he continues to roam free. Despite having demonstrated that he has no concern for other human beings, the debate is a perfect example. Donald was allegedly late so he was allowed to skip the COVID test. The debate organizers were operating on the honor system, we were told. The honor system. You do not give the benefit of the doubt to someone who lies with such fluency, who has proven time and time again that the lives and well-being of others mean nothing to him, and who willfully put the lives of so many Americans at risk, killing hundreds of thousands and sickening tens of millions. By failing to convict Donald after his first impeachment, 74 million Americans, that number still blows my fucking mind, had the chance to express their support of him, thereby emboldening him, empowering each other, and amplifying their racist, anti-immigrant, anti-Semitic, misogynistic, anti-American, anti-democratic ideology. American democracy is on the brink because over the course of five decades, one repellent, ignorant, temper tantrum-throwing bully has never been held accountable for any of the awful things he's done, not for his alleged financial crimes or his crimes against women or his crimes against America. His racism, his anti-Semitism, his mendacity, 
should have disqualified him from being a member of polite society, let alone being the leader of the free world. Yet all of those things are now compulsory if you want to run for office as a Republican. Think about how many opportunities there have been to stop or at least derail him. All the Republican Party needed to do in order to scuttle his candidacy in 2016 was make releasing your tax returns, which we still don't have, a prerequisite for running. Do we think so little of the highest office in the land that we're okay with literally anybody being allowed to ascend to it? I'm sure there are all sorts of technical reasons that the person elected to the presidency doesn't have to pass the most basic background check, but please make this make sense to me. Think about how many people have been complicit in enabling him. If our system can't respond swiftly to the threats this weak, vengeful person and his enablers continue to pose, then I'm afraid it's irreparably broken. We decided to do something a little bit different today as we head into the new year. And uh, joining me is a group of the most extraordinary women. And the group itself is uh, unlikely because we met online as many of us did over the last year and a half. And um, we actually never met in person until last week, I think. So it is just an incredible thrill for me to have everybody together uh, on this show. Um, we have E. Jean Carroll, Katie Fang, Marissa Rothkopf, Jen Taub, and Joyce Vance. Hi, guys. Hi, Mary. Hey, Hi, Mary. <laughs> hello, hello. Um, there is so much I want to talk to you about. Uh, and as, as I think we've learned over the last year or so, we're, we're never at a loss of things to say. So <laughs> what I wanted to do to kick us off, though, is talk to you about two separate events that happened very recently. The first is... A, Donald, during one of his incredibly well-attended events with Bill O'Reilly, um, told people to get vaccinated, and he got booed. Now, he wasn't yeah. telling people to get vaccinated because he gives a shit about anybody, but it was because he wanted credit for the vaccine. <laughs> and yet, he got right. booed. So I'm, right. I'm guessing he'll never do that again. Uh, I wow. heard that Bill, Bill O'Reilly said after that, that he had to console Donald, which is... whoa. Amusing. He, oh, he needs brother. to learn to the read the room. Event, which is more troubling on its face, but, you know, has similar, potentially similar long-term consequences. And that's the fact that at a Turning Point USA conference, which is an ultra, well, I don't know, can we say ultra anymore when we're talking about the Republicans? Uh, it's a Republican event. And um, Kyle Rittenhouse was a speaker, I think, and he got a rock star reception. Ugh. It gave and me the chills. Can I just add it. in to Mary, this, to, to this Mary, that um, I believe Turning Point USA is an organization, um, like kind of an astroturf, you know, college organization. So they're bringing mm -hmm. this young guy, college age guy, parading him in front of people who are going to be ambassadors for, I don't know, what would you call it? Hitler Youth, maybe that's too extreme. Yeah, but. I, I don't think it's too extreme. Um, but the reason, so thank you for pointing that out because that, that's 
good context to have. In some ways, it makes it even scarier. Uh, so the reason <laughs> I, I, I wanted to point those two things out is because um, I want to know what you think they might mean for our future. Uh, Katie, um, you've, you've just come off some amazing work on MSNBC, uh, sitting in for various anchors. So uh, I'm going to ask you what you think first. Are you going to turn the tables and ask me a question? I am going to turn the tables. <laughs> You've anchoring. been asking us questions all week, Katie. It's only fair. Damn it. That's, Damn it. That's why I like this. Let's only ask Katie questions. I wasn't no, even thinking about idea. that, but Let's you're right. Good. Turnabout is fair play. As when I'm asked, I'm just going to ask Katie. That's good. <laughs> um, you know, th- this is... I hate to be some, I hate to portend and be the harbinger of doom, but this is my takeaway from the two examples you offered up, Mary. I think it means that the party, as we define it, of the GOP is no longer squarely, I think, in the control or in the grips of Donald Trump. I think that the reception that Rittenhouse received is indicative of how extreme the party has gone. Um, And I will keep the assessment or observation to the party at large because I see a very small fraction and a handful of people nobly trying to differentiate themselves as registered Republicans from what I think is that far right, very extremist group of people that you saw at Talking Point USA, et cetera. Um, But the fact that Donald Trump would be booed for his even if it was a self-adulation, self-aggrandizement of whatever he perceives was his successful role in the vaccine rollout, et cetera, the fact that they would boo him so vociferously, the fact that the attendance would be so piss poor for him and Bill O'Reilly, by the way, I'd be curious to see how many of those people showed up for Bill versus showing up for the former guy, right? But the fact that he would be booed so much for his advocacy of getting boosted, vaccinated and boosted, just goes to show that I don't think he has that North Korean, you know, leader style um, kind of hold anymore. I think that he's losing it. I think that he's because he doesn't have as much of a strong position in a social media perspective because he's not as much of a literal voice anymore. I don't think he has as much of a stronghold on this party anymore. And I think that you could readily see a Marjorie Taylor Greene-esque challenger to him and I'm not talking talking the Nikki Haley's right I'm not talking the more kind of traditional Mm -hmm. people I'm thinking the more extremist challengers to say that he's been there done that he can't keep up and you know as evidenced by stuff like him advocating that people get vaccinated and boosted so that's my fear and I find it Mm -hmm. to be replicating in in various ways all the time across the United States. So that's my kind yeah, of, you know, two, you know, Reader's Digest assessment of those two examples you offered up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wow. uh, I mean, first of all, there was some visible shuddering going on while you were uh, talking. Um, also, I think part of the attendance issue was because people had to pay 
Uh, and I'm not entirely yeah. sure why anybody would think Bill O'Reilly would be a draw. But <laughs> Joyce, I think that is what's happening. Uh, Trumpism, so-called, has outgrown its... I don't want to say founder because I think Trumpism is just an evolution of the of republicanism, but it's outgrown their uh, still party leader. And with Rittenhouse, like that's just a that's just a long the last in a long line of I think the Republicans saying to us, we're going to pick the worst of the worst and we're going to shove them down your throat and we're going to elevate them and you are just going to have to stand by and take it. What do you, is, is that in line with how you're thinking of it, of this as well? You know, I think the Joyce? Republican party has, I, I should say not the party, but Trump um, enabled by Republican leaders who were willing to let him come to power. I think he's created a little bit of a Frankenstein monster with his base, a monster that can no longer respond to the truth or facts and now that monster's out of control, and, and he may get a taste of what he himself put into play. I, Jen, though, I, is that, that's nothing new. I mean, I think we can go all the way back to the Tea Party with Republicans thinking, oh, you know, we can co-opt these fanatics and control them. And then next thing we know, there's a Freedom Caucus. Yeah, I mean, as I'm listening to this conversation, hearing what Katie and Joyce said and how you set up this question, um, you know, it seems to me, you know, whether it is um, Frankenstein's monster, you know, created by Mary Shelley, but now recreated by Donald Trump, or I think of it as a sorcerer's apprentice, you know, that very scary Mickey Mouse cartoon where he thinks he did that, you know, but if you think about how apt it is here, you know, you get this guy who doesn't want to do the cleaning up. So he figures all, you know, I have one mop and one broom, I'll use that. But then if I can create millions of these, they'll clean up, but then they turn on, they turn on him. And so, you know, so Trump, it used, he thought he was being really clever and genius. He just did, he just went to a place, not even the Tea Party people went. He went even further with, a, with the dog whistles of racism and violence and lies. And the scariest thing for me were the, the calls to violence during the campaign and the outright lies, because he'd gone further than anyone else with that. Well, now we have that very same thing, the violence and the lies. And this is who Marjorie Taylor Greene, Lauren Boebert, Kyle Rittenhouse are. And I think we're at that phase. And one last thing, what keeps haunting me is right before the 2016 election, people said, you know, America isn't really divided between left and right. It's between, you know, people who care about facts and ideas and culture and people who watch reality t- the reality TV and sports only world. I know mm. those are fun pastimes, but I mean, so what, what, what I think the Boberts and the Marjorie Taylor Greens bring to this is the showmanship, but it's become a kind of violent show, you know, wow. a, la the, a la like the, you know, Roman Colosseum. I know I'm going farther back. This is dangerous, right? Where people want that kind of violent entertainment. And you talk about voters. We always thought, well, that's going to alienate the base. Well, that is the base. And they can grow. They've decided the Republican Party to grow their base with people who are going to brazen through it uh, like Matt Gates and all these others, and it doesn't matter the lies they tell, because they have they have a f you kind of f your feelings base, and that's where we are. And I honestly, sadly think that 
if the Republicans win in 22, that's the country. And I don't know where that puts the rest of us. I completely agree with you. We have 11 months to to pull this together. Uh, But relevant or not, Donald is still technically the head of the party, and he's still being enabled, and he's still continuing to show his followers, his sycophants, and his wannabes, like those congresswomen, um, whose names I can't say because I I just (laughs) find them so repulsive. Um, and he keeps getting away with it, right? And Eugene, mm-hmm. as somebody who knows this better than anybody, what, what do you do when somebody continues to be in a position to game the system because he's never been held accountable for anything? So to run out the clock or to change the subject, just keeps countersuing. Um. I don't have as a dark feeling about the future of America. As well, thank my God. Very, I, <laughs> I, this week, this week and last week, I felt a turn in the country. I felt that turn. I think we're headed in another direction. The feeling of, oh, we can't do anything, can't do anything. When we saw the House vote, that was so uplifting. It was so uplifting. And today we have uh, what Jen Taub found um, on uh, that the uh, uh, chief of uh, chief of the Joint Chiefs they refrained from sending in the military uh, when they were pleading. The police officers at the Capitol riot were pleading, pleading, pleading for three hours. They never got it. And today. Um, you all are going to have to explain what actually what happened. Uh, uh, Joyce and Jen and Marissa are going to have to explain what happened. But I feel, God, you're, you know, uh, bless me, Father. I feel <laughs> upbeat about what's happening. I really do. I mean, I, Marissa, I, is that a bad thing <laughs> to feel upbeat? I, I'm, I'm okay with that. I, 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 give me some hope, right? I oh I'm not going to give you hope. Um, I'm <laughs> not sorry. I, mute her, mute her, Mike. Like now. My feeling when when we were we were talking about Trump Donald. and his sorry uh, Donald and his um, party sort of moving away from him. I think of it really like a virus, like, you know, the Tea Party was the start of the virus and then Trump became an even worse part of Donald, became even worse part of the the virus. And now, and he created this warm, dank environment. (laughs) Exactly. For the virus to grow and mutate. And to me, it's becoming some sort of flesh eating <laughs> drug resistant strain wow um that's no. brilliant but i'm a hypochondriac so that's really what i apply to anything that scares me <laughs> is <laughs> so i would love it if i could think if you could tell me there's some sort of antibiotic that can help this well there is wow. and it's it's voting rights um but this is the thing i i am not hopeless um i think if we give up hope now then we're wasting 11 months right, where we right. can actually enact some change, right? right. There's a, an adorable cattail in the frame. <laughs> it's, 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 it's a great cameo. Um, so the problem is, and Joyce and I have spoken about this, is that justice time and political time 
are very different things. There's this political urgency. Right. um, That gives us less than 11 months. Right. um, To to accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And that's overcoming gerrymandering, overcoming voter suppression, trying to get voting rights passed with people like Manchin and Sinema pretending to be Democrats in the Senate. Uh, And then... You have the Justice Department, which understandably needs to take its time and be yeah. very Wait, careful. Go ahead, John. Can I just do this like like we were really talking? And I would just like I just when you said the names Mansion, I mean you know I know we're really talking, but like if we were really just like interrupted like any time. Okay, please. So uh, you just said the name. You know, I I was an English major, and um, hmm. part of what I'm doing now in this sort of depressing period is retreating into you know, memories of Shakespeare and all this stuff. But anyway, so I, I, li- I hear the words that you just said, and you said mansion and cinema. And the names are so evocative, you know, the mansion, the wealthy, and cinema, the appearance versus reality. Okay, go on. Go on. No, no, no. I'm saying, like, I love it. It. Beautifully Dickensian. It, it is Dickensian. Did you say Dickensian by- or Keynesian? Deca- <laughs> Definitely Dickensian. not Keynesian. De- Anti-Keynesian. <laughs> Anti-Keynesian. No, but it's actually just a quick aside. When I was a freshman in college and, and you know, nobody outside of New York really knew who Donald was, um, one of my professors, uh, when she first met me, I introduced myself. She said, Trump, that name yes. is so Dickensian. Uh, <laughs> little did she. Yes, God. And it yeah, really, really is now. Um, anyway, I, I think, though, that it does, people like that do make it difficult uh, to have hope in the system. But I think, well, Katie, you, you, you and Jen can speak to this, um, and so can Joyce. Uh, how do we moderate our expectations? How, what can we accomplish outside of justice time, um, you know, when we're looking at, it seems like there's this real overlap, right? People have committed crimes, but who's going to arrest them? <laughs> you know, who's going to indict them? Can you help us figure that out? Because it, it mystifies me and it, it makes me stressed. <laughs> I think that one, one point that is getting lost in the, the, the messaging and the news lately is the fact that the January 6th committee is a fact-finding committee and people are, I think, um, conflating the roles and responsibilities of that commission with the DOJ and the other prosecuting authorities and what they're supposed to be doing. And I think that there is always going to be um, and we and we talked about this a little bit before. There, we were always kind of generally aware that the process has to move at a specific pace. And putting aside any delays that may have been affiliated with the coronavirus and that continue to exist, people are just impatient. And I think part of it is because there is only so much that that we can, as the collective kind of conscience that still remains in this country feel like we're taking and 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 feeling and not and trying not to be defeatist but it's really only so much you can take before you kind of have to hit the brakes and say okay well when is enough enough like when is there going to be a true day of reckoning for all of the people that have their hands dirty in this you know and i think that if people can understand because i think joyce i think you talked about this the other day that 
these are referrals that are going to be made, but it doesn't mean that the Department of Justice is necessarily going to run with the referral and do anything with it, right? Uh, and uh, I'm sorry, but it's I think Jen totally, has a reaction. I totally fucked this up. There oh, was, she's talking about her cord yeah, that she's knitting. No wonder it wasn't working. Oh, Jesus. I have to pull out all these stitches. But I have to say, I was actually sorry. saying, oh, oh, gosh. When Jen was too, but it was because I had read what Joyce had said, where it's like, well, you right. know, the DOJ might just take it as a referral, right? And that's that was like my mental drop. I want to hear right from there. Joyce. Why, yeah. I mean, Joyce? Where are you? Right. Well, I want you to cheer me up, Joyce. You know, I don't think I'm going to cheer you up, but I'll I'll say two things. Maybe I'll say three things. <laughs> One is that we can't become the country that we that the. Trump base was during the 2016 election. Right. People who just scream, lock him up, right? We're a rule of law country. Mm -hmm. We don't do that. Investigations take time. Even in the best of situations, a public corruption case can take years to build. We're about a year out from January 6th, almost. Uh, This investigation has been happening during a pandemic. And the risk you have if you hurry an investigation is that you miss the good stuff. There's good stuff that we're just learning now. These cases take time, and they take time for a reason. There's also a rule that prosecutors live by in public corruption cases, which is that if you're going to shoot at the king, you got to be awful sure you can take him out. Um, That's right. A swing and a miss— would be the worst possible setup for this yes, country right now. Exactly. So, so look, here's the problem. I, I no longer work at the Justice Department. I find it to be incredibly frustrating to watch all of this. I wish that oh. there had been indictments and prosecutions starting immediately after January 6th because we all watched it happen in real time and we all have a gut feeling mm-hmm. that crimes were committed. But it's because we want to emerge on the other side of the Trump era as a rule of law country that we're going to have to indulge the Justice Department a little bit. And I frankly find that to be scary because we don't know. Is is Merrick Garland, as many people have suggested, someone who will not engage in a political prosecution because he's concerned? And look, rightly so. We don't want to also become the sort of a, um, you know, banana republic where former leaders are routinely prosecuted. But my instinct has been that the January 6th event and everything that led up to it and the big lie and and the ongoing, frankly, slow-rolling coup that we're watching in progress now, this is all a singular event in in our history. And these, these crimes, if there's evidence to support indictment, should be prosecuted, but at a bare minimum, there should be full-on investigation. I sure hope that DOJ is investigating. I'm a little bit worried that I'm like uh, Charlie Brown, trusting Lucy to not pull the football away this time. But Well, you're a Democrat, so that goes without saying. It does saying. go without saying. <laughs> but, but I mean, my gut instinct, right, is, is that I am willing to let the folks at DOJ do their jobs. But I'm also jaded enough to hope I'm not wrong. Right. But Eugene, and you, know, you and Merce and I are the only lay people here. We're, we're not lawyers. Yeah. Um, so I hear what Joyce is saying, but part of the problem as a lay person here is that, and as somebody who's known Donald for 
kind of a long time. Um, we know how many crimes he's committed and gotten away with. Now, obviously, the DOJ, no, nobody can take that into account, um, but we know it in our bones, and it, it, and it, it makes the weight even harder, I think, um, in part because the clock really is ticking. And how, Eugene, how ironic would it be if, because Bill Barr was so corrupt and so political as the head of the DOJ, Merrick Garland is going to err on the side of extreme caution and not make what he thinks is a political decision, and there goes democracy. I think they're going to, I think uh, 2022 is going to be a very, very bad year for your uncle, Mary. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, I, I thought you meant for us. Oh, <laughs> like, well, that, I think it's going to be a... I got worried there. Keep very, talking. Keep talking. Very <laughs> bad year. He is going to suffer. I believe this is, is all coming together. All these commissions, all these investigations, the Southern District, you know, uh, Letitia James... Uh, Robbie Kaplan, our attorney, we are we are coalescing and coming at him. I do not think he's going to survive it, Mary. I do not think he's going to do it. Uh, I no. I I think we're gonna. I think we're gonna get him. I think okay, we're well, gonna get him. I mean, I think then for the sake of um, our sanity and our blood pressure, I am going to retire and hand the mic over to Eugene for the rest of the uh, time we have together. <laughs> She's because... awfully reassuring, isn't she? I'm liking this. Right? No, she it's, is. It's wonderful. So, I, I mean, Marissa, is that, do you, because I, I, I kind of feel like, uh, I think Jen actually tweeted something about uh, Letitia James is seeking for something, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, something yeah, to, to have yeah. him deposed or what have you. And my response is lots of seeking, not a lot of finding. So Marissa, like, how do we, how do we negotiate that feeling? You mean the feel, that mental feeling? I, I'm afraid I'm also like negative Nelly here. I I really like, I really focus my Pollyanna-ish, I guess, on cookies because the rest of the time I think, (laughs) I I think, um, it's a good place uh, to put it. Donald has managed to avoid prosecution to stick a fork in the toaster of justice <laughs> as as often Ow. as he possibly can work on well work on the analogy but no, basically <laughs> anytime he gets to you know Letitia James throws something at him he throws something right back it's like he, he just keeps a stack of them you know um and it works for him and that's the part that is front of mind for me. And as a lay person, I don't see it. I just see it prolonging things and prolonging things. And it becomes unbearably frustrating if I weren't already unbearably frustrated. I don't think he's going to, sorry, this is Jen. I don't think Marissa, he's going to succeed in slowing Tish James down because you know he's asking for a preliminary injunction. I don't think he's going to get it. No. I think she's going to move forward. Um, so but yeah. you know, okay, he's still putting, but he's still, he's still, you know, putting a little salt, you know, a little salt in the in the gears. Right, but don't forget. Okay, so but don't forget about Georgia. Everybody always forgets about right. the investigation that's going on in Georgia because there's so much more public activity. Yes, 
going yes. on. Okay. And Georgia's really where he, you know, stuck his foot in the shit. So, I mean, yes. don't don't forget about that. That's going on as well. I just think to Joyce's point, okay. though, right, it, you know, and, and they and they reiterated that, Joyce, right, in The Wire, mm. you know, if you shoot if you shoot at the king or you aim for the king, you best not miss, right? It's what you they said. Yeah. Avon Barksdale, I think, said that. So we had two very public impeachment trials where it was, in my opinion, very uncontroverted evidence against him, and he managed to escape that. But those were political beasts. Political. Those were political right. trials. Those were not the traditional right. trials you know, that we're all used to seeing. And whether you came down on the side of the most effective use of witnesses, testimony and evidence, you know, et cetera, on either one of those trials. I think that there is the inevitable kind of denouement of all of this stuff, right? It has to come to a conclusion. The fear that we have, though, is to Mary's point, it's a very short runway. And I don't Mm -hmm. believe that allowing us to falter and to lose any type of foothold we have in a 2022 midterm race is going to help us in a 2024, you know, presidential election. And so my frustration coming from a very red state with a governor who actively is trying to kill us on a daily basis in Florida. um, And by the way, with a governor who may run for president of the United States, let's be frank, right? Right. Um, Right. And and by the way, who wants to uh, have his own army, his own militia? Oh, yeah. He wants his own civilian militia, right? Yeah, he does. What? DeSantis what? Thing, when did that's that what happen? You can do. Could, sometime this month. Oh my yeah, god! But the I problem that, that we have Jesus. is, where we 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 have well-intentioned folks, but we're not organized. And I'll I'll speak for Florida. We're not organized, and so eleven months sounds like. Not a lot of time, but sounds like a lot of time, but is not enough time because people like Stacey Abrams didn't do this overnight. People like Stacey Abrams didn't turn Georgia blue overnight. So I don't know. I think that we I think we need a better organizational structure and team nationally to help kind of help the states that need the help like us. We need we need help. Right. Because we're, we're fractured and we're not organized on a local level and we need help. And I think that's where you get to the preservation of voting rights or the reinstitution of true voting rights, um, true access to the polls, et cetera. You don't get that unless you have, I think, more of a coalition. And I don't feel that like mm-hmm. I, that's my frustration. I don't feel like we have a national coalition in terms of an organized front to get us to 2022 effectively. Yeah, and and I think um, part of that stems from the fact that the 50-state strategy was allowed to go by the wayside, and Democrats don't fight for every single office. Uh, And that became appallingly clear when we learned that the judge in the Kyle Rittenhouse trial has been there for 18 years because he's run unopposed every single time he's run. Uh, So between that and the fact that Democrats can't get their fucking messaging right. Oh, which please. is a mist- Okay, Eugene, go, 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 go. go. <laughs> Don't just scream. Say something. We. That's the <laughs> simplest way to turn things around is through strong, vibrant, vivid messaging coming mm-hmm. from Joe Biden and then coming down. That's 
we could fix a lot of things just by fixing Joe Biden's messaging. Well, well I sometimes think, just, sorry, sorry, go ahead, Jen. You know, going back to the reality TV and, you know, reaching most people, I think this is, you know, it's multi-layered, right? right. It's, um, I agree. I agree. And I don't, you know, I'm not, you know, people, the, the reality of voting rights and getting the public behind that, we all know how important it is. But, you know, where are, where's the, you know, Apple TV, Apple Plus movie about that? Like, where's the con- consciousness raising? Because people oh. need to see themselves in these situations. I mean, when the, when I was in, God, this, this might be, Mar- Mary, we're like about the same, almost exactly the same age. And you might've remembered in elementary school when the, all of you might've remembered this, when the, the uh, television, the first TV multi-day series Roots came out. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it yes. was Katie was not yet born, but the rest of and us. And then the, the, the series called The Holocaust came out. And these things mm-hmm. were, especially oh. with Roots, Alex Haley's book miniseries, no one thought yeah. anyone was going to watch it, and people were glued oh, to it. Right, and now right. people, now uh, the, the reality is we have so many different, the different channels we have, whether it's streaming on our computers or it's on our whatever device, we are so fragmented by that. But it turns out there's always spaces. Where is, where's the propaganda going? These, these folks are using YouTube and they, you know, so what truth is not propaganda, but it needs to be spread in the same way propaganda is. In other words, how it's Mm -hmm. not just the right messages. It's figuring out how to reach people and how do you reach them through their own stars? You know, where is right, the NASCAR right. guy who's for voting? Oh, where is good the idea. where is the lady with you know the who's doing the big eyelashes right. that everyone loves? You know, wh- wh- where are the places where th- that are viral already and show oh, up good there? Good idea. You know, yeah, anyway. that is yeah. that. Well, uh, you're hired. Um, yeah, first of all, <laughs> uh, but Marissa, that that's such a great point because. Everything is so siloed that mm-hmm. it takes a concerted effort to get outside of your bubble. Like, I only follow people on Twitter I agree with because I don't want the aggravation. But I need to work to, to get the news from other sources and to make sure my opinions are right. in, well-informed, if not well-rounded. So what, what do you think we need to do? Um, to help people understand uh, that there is so much at stake here um, and it doesn't fit on a bumper sticker. And as Jen just said, it's not on a Lifetime movie. <laughs> I, it could be. I believe, <laughs> could be. Uh, spe- yeah, That's and here's the, answer, the title Lifetime of the movie. movie and it, propaganda, right? <laughs> lifetime movie. I think well, you, write there are um, three channel. groups of people that we need to, like three groups of people, um, that need uh, gathering. And one is the TikTok generation, all those people who spend their time um, creating memes. They, they can create, like we all know, like our teenage friends who create videos in about 22 seconds and they go viral and 6 million people watch them. That's one group. And they are so effective as speaking upwards and sort of shaming adults that I think it's a very effective, um, you know, they all feel that the world has been ruined for them anyway. It has. So if we, if we get, shh, they, they feel it. I, it could 
but we should give them back the power to feel that they can take control over something. And wouldn't this be a great message to encourage them to grow and share the way that they consume media now? And I say that as a pleasant middle-aged lady. Um, I, <laughs> I think um, the, the whole lifetime thing as a woman who used to work at Oxygen when it was a women's network, I think um, harnessing the, the women, us, us types of women, uh, is a great place to Hallmark start, too. Hallmark movie about two people who fall in love while registering people to vote. Yes, exactly. Yes, different exactly. political parties. Exactly. It's That's absolutely exactly. Even I would watch parties. that Lifetime movie. Let's, let's write that and Lifetime. The crisis, right? I can write should, it. And, and the crisis it. occurs when she takes um, him home to meet her family. Oh, it's perfect. And it, and there's a clash of political views. I love it. And then they show up to vote and they're asked for IDs and one of them, yes, it's a whole thing. Or that can exactly. defends him. It. Wait, someone goes to challenge his signature list saying that he made up the lit names and she knows yeah. he didn't until right. she realizes, oh. you know, Bob, Bob, Bob. What do we call of... it? Wait, we need oh. a name for this uh, thing. Joyce, we oh. need a name. Is she there? I'm not sure I'm we here. should wait while we come up with a name. But <laughs> with if anybody name? comes up with a name, They in. can edit out the waiting. I mean, <laughs> Well, that's true. We can call um, it love but, in line, right? Love it, love at the polls. Oh, uh, yeah, love in the polls. Love um, poll because love. you know that has all yeah, sorts no, of different connotations. Yeah, we should, so there was a dancing. Pole no, dancing. not pole dancing. Sorry, um, yeah. pole dancing for the vote. I don't know, Marissa. You said there was a third group. <laughs> there were three groups. Um, the the older people, people oh, um, above us in age who um, may not be driving, may right. not have proper ID, and uh, have a lot of skills to get on the phone, right. to organize people mm-hmm. in their community. They have a lot, they, many of them have time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to get their population organized, yeah. I think it would be great. But they and need, then you get the grandmas tools, together with their grandchildren. They need the tools for that, though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm talking about, being organized. Yeah. If you have, like, a one-stop shop that can dispense the tools, then they can yeah. be conformed to the community or the jurisdiction you're working in. But we don't have that, right? So all of these great ideas right. get really uber, yeah. uber, and uh, uber, you know, um, dis- de- deployed in only specific kind of situations and in places. And that's the hardest part about it. And, you know, another problem is we're a very big tent. And so when we all try to mm -hmm. pull the same direction, it's not like it's a linear march forward. And I've always seen that as a strength of the Democratic Party. When when you're trying to defeat an autocratic leader, that can make your life a little bit more complicated. And I notice that when I talk with my kids, frankly, because they're so focused on climate, that they're less concerned about voting rights. And so having that conversation Mm -hmm. about how securing voting rights is essential if you want to affect climate change, that can be a really important conversation to have with people. But it means you also have to be willing to listen to their ideas, even when you disagree. And sometimes I find that the most growth that I do thinking about how we get out of this mess is listening to their ideas and and to E. Jean's optimism. I I find myself sort of optimistic because, you know, the the 20-year-olds and the 30-year-olds have got great ideas and good ideas about how to get there. They might be different from mine, but, you know, I'm all in favor of handing them the keys to the kingdom and letting them run. Oh, 
Mm-hmm. Oh. Me too. Or giving so them the, the infrastructure support because you're right. They have the ideas and they can recruit people and they, they're the ones who need to register. But like Katie said, we don't have time to build. The fact that we don't have that infrastructure yet is insane. But is. what we can do is we can meet them where they are. That's the message I got, Marissa, when you were going through your three groups of people. Meet them where, where they are, whether it's right. NASCAR or Lifetime right. or Hallmark right. or wherever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I guess when we that was when me, you're looking, Mary. I was the NASCAR girl. Credit where credit is due. <laughs> Jen and Marissa made me think as they were talking about you know. <laughs> Who to talk to? Meet them where they are. And Joyce, Joyce's point is also right on target. Not everybody's going to agree. You have to allow people to disagree. But again, because the infrastructure isn't there, mm-hmm. I kind of feel like we need we need to be have everybody as diverse as our coalition is be one issue voters in 2022 and 2024. Does that make yeah. sense? Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like one, don't vote for mass murderers and two, vote for democracy or something. Don't vote for mass murderers. Okay, don't vote. Okay, (laughs) just want to get the message straight. It's confusing. That's a good good message. That's a, Mary, that's a strong message. Who knew it needed to be said, right, Joyce? That's, dude, that's it. Eugene Carroll just called me dude. I know. There you go. (laughs) It really is true, though, when you think about it. I was explaining to my kids the other night at dinner, not to make this the Joyce Talks About Her Kids podcast, but um, I I was explaining to them that their grandmother, my mother-in-law, who I adored, was a one-issue voter. Even after Roe versus Wade, mom was a, if you were not pro-choice, you could not get her vote. And she was the yellowest of yellow dog Democrats. But that said, if you mm-hmm. were not pro-choice, she would not vote for you. Um, can I ask you a question? First, first of all, she's very prescient because yeah. here we are yeah. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. without yeah. Uh, women being equal citizens in the United States of America. What's a yellow a yellow De- dog, dog Democrat? A yellow dog. Uh, it's somebody who'd vote for that spotted yellow dog over there instead of a Republican. If your choice oh. was a that spotted oh, yellow great. dog or Republican, you'd vote oh. for the yellow dog. Yeah. I thought she was channeling like old yeller or something no, like that. Yellow yellow dog is that an old yellow, yellow dog. Yellow dog Democrats. Uh, I love blue it. dog. Well, blue to dogs. your point, Mary, I, I think you're right about blue. Yeah, blue dogs, Katie. Maybe that's what we should call it. But I think you're right. We should tell people be one issue voters. The Republicans have been so yeah. good over decades of telling their people. Right. This candidate may not be your first choice, but he'll he'll appoint justices yes. you'll like to the Supreme Court. That's you know, it. we need to say if you want to wake up in a in a semi functional democracy and have a chance to fix climate, vote That's Democratic right. whether you like the yes. candidates right. or not. That's it. Up and down ballot. That's it. You solved yeah, it. For, That's it. Right. We're, right. We're, we're done here. Our work here That's is done. Um, but first of all, I just want to say that I I want. Uh, I want to put Eugene on a loop so when I'm feeling down, I can just have her <laughs> cheering me on in the background. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, the other thing that, that we need to get better at, too, and I'm, I'm not saying this to drop names. It just happens to be true. I was speaking to Jane Fonda last year, uh, whom oh, yeah? I adore, uh, because she, she does Fire Drill Fridays, and they asked me to be, a, which is with um, Greenpeace USA, wow. an organization I belong to. And uh, they 
she invited me to be her guest. It was just the most bizarre thing ever. <laughs> and she's absolutely wonderful and lovely. And, and she made this really good point. She's like, you know, people you might totally disagree with about certain things like hunting really yeah, don't want right. the planet to be destroyed because they right. need to keep things alive so they can kill them. Yeah. I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. you know, that actually does make sense. Right. Hunters, fisher, fisher people need... <laughs> The need the environment to be healthy, right? Uh, right. right. So, yeah. so we maybe we need to get better at that too. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I love it. I love it, Mary. You're very good at finding the key to the future. You just did it on this podcast, Mary. Trump. I just <laughs> ripped everything off from you guys. Boy, <laughs> I, I just I, like summed it up. Well, I like so. the one. What's your one phrase? What's your one? What's your what's the voting phrase? Don't don't vote, vote for a mass murderer. <laughs> yeah. Vote for democracy. There. Love that's it. a bumper sticker. That's a t-shirt. <laughs> that's, that's a t-shirt. Oh, that's a t-shirt. There we and go. And maybe in the in the lifetime movie, they can start a merch line <laughs> to help people get out the vote. I hope that's you can sell that, that along that's with That's a good that. idea. This is really good. Got, you know, so, one of the other things this whole plan. I, I would like this whole plan to do because I, I think, you know, we're talking some pie in the sky here, but I, I actually think it's all doable. But I, I want to stop the, our, our group of people from fracturing into the Bernie bros again. Oh, right. Whatever, whatever Good luck. part, whatever they, but, you know, transformation becomes. Um, I really think we all have to get behind this message and somehow yeah. we have to figure out I, how not to splinter. I, I almost feel like that's up to them more than it's up yeah. to us. I, no? I, you I, know, I'm getting off I just we're, say, supposed, yeah. we're supposed to be the party of inclusion, though. And I think that's always the challenge, right? Because the splinter cells, right. mm-hmm. they, they exist always. But it's I, I, so, so this goes generally to the idea of messaging and how crappy the Democrats have always been with messaging. And the idea that... And it's a and it's a it's a mutual complaint that I share with people. Why can't we take the gloves off and actually fight fire with fire? Why are we always so delicate, like you know, right, like right. clutching Why? pearls, delicate about the way that we address these things? Because I feel like it, it, I, I don't I, I don't I'm not trying to I'm not trying to to jeopardize our integrity, but. You know, the Republicans have always been so much better on the messaging. Right. And I don't know if it's because we're scared yeah. of not being the, the, the party of inclusion. But shit, sometimes you have to triage, folks. And sometimes right. maybe it's just not right. going to be think, the most important well, thing, right, you know? Right. right. I mean, it's I such agree. a good point. And, and Katie, part of it, I think, is both to what you're saying and the splintering Marissa is talking about is there's the um, elected Democrats and then there's the all of us, the party. And the problem is the electeds might not all, you know, they're dealing with different constituencies, dealing with different um, interests, maybe different lobbyists, right? Right. And so maybe they're not going to, it's going to be hard for them to coalesce, but we can coalesce on this, on the ideas. And this is about a power coalition. The, yeah. You know, that for those who are disappointed because they think, you know, either the, the Democratic Party, the Democratic Party's 
progressive ideas are very popular at large, right? But it's hard to sometimes get them all through. And then so for some people, the answer is, well, you know, I'm not going to vote Democrat anymore. And I'm not going to, I'm going to discourage people to vote because they didn't give me what I want. The answer is we had a very slim, we are 50-50. The answer is if the only way you're going to move the party to the left isn't by, people think it's threatening to leave. It's by getting more Democrats, period. In some, in some um, districts, they're going to be more moderate in the House. In some states, they're going to be more moderate. And the fact is, yeah, Joe Manchin sucks, but and if we can flip a state that's red to a, and add a, de- a Democratic senator who's moderate also, we're still going to have more votes. We're still have, still have more chances to get the agenda we want. And it's very frustrating to me that um you know that that people cannot just see the math here that frustrates mm-hmm. me well the math which is also impacted by gerrymandering and voter suppression sure right uh so and that's what i think also frustrates a lot of people because there are so many more of us than there are of them right and right it, right and and we shouldn't be in this position no. At all. No. I mean, don't get me wrong. It is horrifying that 12 million more people voted for him in 2020 than in 2016. Mm. We, we mm. cannot lose sight of that. However, almost 80 million people voted against it. And God knows how many people didn't vote um, who would have if they did. Uh, so I think that's I, and I don't say that to, to discourage people. I say that to 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 remind us that despite all of the built-in um, structural disadvantages, uh, we really do have a lot of right. Um, power, right? Yeah. And I, I totally agree with Katie. Take the fucking gloves off. The whole right, We Go right. High thing. When, when I heard We Go High, I didn't think be a doormat. I thought, okay, right. don't cheat, don't lie, don't steal, but fight with your bare knuckles if you have to because they're trying to destroy our country. How how difficult is that? Like we're the Democrats continue to play by a rule book that doesn't exist anymore because right, the Republicans right. lit it on fire. Right. Exactly. Can I just yeah. ask a and question? Yep. Does it do us It's your show. Go uh, for it. Uh, Mary, first of all, I love your podcast. But second of all, can <laughs> I just ask a stupid stupid question? Does There's it no such do thing as stupid questions? A, any good for us to be on Twitter? Because if we're only tweeting to people who believe what we believe, what good are we doing on? Are we doing any good on Twitter or not? I have no idea. No, it's just a way to have fun. I don't think yeah. of it as a political oh. space. Oh, Mm-mm. I was once told no, by a very wise man that Twitter is for snark. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Well, Ooh, then I, I need to know who the wise man is. Well, it's a lot cheaper well, than therapy when you think about it. Okay. Absolutely. So, yeah. so Twitter is not changing anybody's minds. But you can try out ideas. Like if you have an idea and right. you get a lot of pushback, you might be like, you know, maybe I need to refine that idea. Okay. It's kind of like peer reviewing mini ideas, but it's not changing it's an echo the discussion. It's, I don't, it's not changing policy. It's an echo chamber. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So, really Jen. Is. That's it. it is so uh, the thing that has the impact. But if Jen Tobb writes an article in the Washington Monthly, that will have more impact than a tweet. Is that true or not? Uh, well, I don't think my articles have impact. But if someone writes something, <laughs> if Joyce Vance 
writes a piece in the Washington Post, that would have impact much more than a tweet. That's my question. Does it have impact when Joyce yes. Vance writes a so piece in the Washington can, Post? Can I respectfully disagree, both because I disagree that Jen Taub's excellent writing has no oh, impact. Right. I think it really does have <laughs> impact. I agree. And also, yes. I'm sort yes. of like an um, all-of-the-above person. I think in keeping with the notion that we've developed of meeting people where they are, that we should be willing to have conversations about strengthening democratic institutions and and preserving, you know, our, our country, not to put too fine of a point on it. Wherever we find people, and if, if that means that um, my law school roommate, who I adore, who's a um, hi, Janie, if you're listening, a, a right-wing conservative, if we sort of go <laughs> back and forth at each other on Twitter, as we often do, yeah. and exchange Good. ideas there, and other right. people can see us sort of modeling that most of the time respectful disagreement, I, I think... You know, these are all pieces, messy pieces of being a democracy, which isn't nearly as easy as being an authoritarian form of government. One of my best friend's daughters is um, just home from, I I don't think I'll name the country. She um, works in an authoritarian country where they were much more easily able to deal with the pandemic because of their political structure, but where you also can't, for instance, protest against the government without facing serious consequences, right? It's a little bit easier for the government in an environment like that, but how much less rich for us? And and I think I'm willing to deal with some of the mess and and the despair and frustration of democracy to have all of the, the richness that this country offers us. Choice, that actually uh, reminds me of something I want to ask you guys. But first, I just want to let everybody know that in this group, we have something called a self-deprecation alert. I forgot to throw a flag on that play. That's um, right. It's a siren. And then we just say self-deprecation alert. Oh, so boy. self-deprecating is not allowed. That's and, right. of course, we all engage in it almost constantly. Oh. But um, mm. it, we try not to. So, so I, I'm not supposed to say now, can I just add in one more silly idea? Absolutely yeah. not. And just for that, you can't. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Go ahead. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm going to advocate for something uh, that might surprise you, which is I think there's power in the echo chamber of Twitter Oh. Um, in, in getting a message out in that um, if even if I, you know, if I retweet Jen Taub's fantastic article from the Washington Post if we all do that, it's going to start, it's going to spread as an idea through all the people who think oh, like okay. similarly to us. And yeah. from there, especially if we have a strong message that we are trying to send, um, it, it can reach, start reaching the people who we know agree and from there yeah. move outward. Wow. That's actually a really good point because yeah. imagine how and I discovered this. I was doing a little research, and I thought like we would all have a lot more overlap on Twitter than we do, and we don't. No. Uh, so imagine if somebody like Rex Chapman, right, who comes from an entirely different world, he's a, right. a basketball player from Kentucky. Right. If he's retweeting something of ours, right, and entirely hundreds of thousands yeah. of people who normally. So Marissa, I, that's that's an excellent point, and I do yeah. I think we do need to deploy Twitter more strategically as we enjoy right. it, and you know the, you know. Um, yeah. I changed my mind. Marissa, you make a good point. And also, yeah, we know, wouldn't right. have known each other. We met right. because of On Twitter. Twitter. That's we right. met in the DMs. Yeah. That's, we did. That's, that's what, 
Yeah. Yep. That's, 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 your, that's the title of your movie. We met in the DM. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. In a fictional Italian hilltop. Um, oh, yes, exactly. <laughs> registering Americans to vote. Who knows? Who knows? Um, but that's, that's a very good point. Uh, and it, I just want to get back for a second um, to something Joyce reminded me about. When Joyce talks about people she's close with who come from very different um, ideologies, I'm amazed. And I, I, I think it's, it's got to be partially a function of where you live, Joyce, right? Mm-hmm. Because what kind of what choice do you have? <laughs> you're, you're a blue dot in a red sea. Or as, as I was saying to Marissa earlier, you're a, a blue subatomic particle in a red ocean. Um, but it, like, there, there, you have this tolerance that I don't have anymore, if I ever did have it. But no, I did, because I, being a Republican was never a deal breaker in terms of being friends. And it is now here in New York where I, I don't, I have the luxury, and I think it's detrimental, but, yeah. you know, I I find it very very difficult. I would right. find it very difficult. Right. So I wonder if that is um, primarily because of geography, um, Katie. I know you're in a red, more less red state than Alabama, but certainly a more red one than New York, New Jersey, or Massachusetts. I think, aren't we like a spillover far? jurisdiction from Alabama, Joyce? There's really I, I no think, border. You know, We're northern like Florida, one, especially, one. right? Yeah, the panhandle, yeah. we just call y'all Lower Alabama. <laughs> yeah. But Mary, to your, to your point, you know, I, I live in a neighborhood, my, my um, polling place, you know, we vote extremely blue. I live in an uh, urban Birmingham neighborhood that's by the university hospital. And so it would oh, be okay. easy to um, live in an echo chamber that would rival Twitter. Um, <laughs> but I, I guess I'll just say this. I'm not afraid of my own ideas, and I'm willing to hold them up to the light of day and talk with other people about them. And sometimes that means I moderate. Sometimes it means I'm I'm confirmed that my views are right. But the one thing that I increasingly just find it to be um, really, really difficult to do, and, and maybe the the dividing line for me was immigration and the childhood separation policy— I just find it difficult to maintain relationships with people who say, well, good, if they wanted to have family lives and keep their children with them, they should have thought about that before they fled horrible conditions in Central, you know, that this sort of this Mm -hmm. sense of mindless cruelty to others and and sort of um, abrogation of our values. That's that's where I struggle. and, And I decide that for my own good. I don't have to really work hard to maintain um, relationships with people who are willing to tolerate cruelty or, or violence, or maybe where we started right. this deification of Kyle Rittenhouse, right? I, I just, right. I struggle right. to get there, and, and I just no longer believe I have to. Exactly. And then, you know, listen, yeah, I, I don't know, does this mean then, Joyce, does this mean... We don't we don't have to try because this kind of dovetails with this issue of the echo chamber of, of Twitter a little bit. We don't have to try to convince other people or change their minds anymore. Right. 
Because there's some people that are never going to change their minds. And I think that that is the most definitively tangible byproduct from the former guy's administration. There are people Mm. that I don't waste the breath on to try to change their mind, to try to show them the flaws in their logic and the fact that they are so selfish in the way that they want to live in a world which is Mm -hmm. not meant only to be lived in by them exclusively, right? Right. So I don't try. So to some extent, if there's a big enough audience on on a platform like Twitter, it actually encourages me to the extent that I feel like, okay, I am not, you know, the blue dot in the big red sea because there are like-minded people out there that give a shit enough that they want to make a change. And, they, and I have a seven-year-old daughter and I want her to live in a beautiful world that's not going to be myopic and stupid and racist Ooh. and horrible and dystopian, right? So I'm not going to try to change your mind. I'll show you the error of your ways. And depending upon the day and the messaging, it might be harsher or not, but you'll either get on board or you won't. But I kind of think that's where we are now. I don't think we're at that point anymore Mm -hmm. where we're trying to sit there and bring people, come on board, come on board. The weather's better here or the water's warmer here or whatever. I just, listen, no, you're going to drown me. You're going to come on my boat. You're going to poison my food. I don't want you in my lifeboat anymore or whatever, right? So you do you and I will be with my like-minded people. But if that happens, does that mean then we've reached a total and complete stalemate in terms of changing the numbers? Does that mean that we're not going to get more people to vote blue? Are we not going to get more people? Do we need need to be focusing on the independence of the world? Um, Do we need to still be wooing then from from this inclusion standpoint, the more progressive part of the Democratic Party to make sure that they're still voting where we need them to go? Are they guaranteed to vote Democrat? I mean, these are the types of things that we need to be talking about because I just don't think we're ever going to convince that side of the aisle anymore. From what I've seen, the rhetoric and the fact that you have people in Congress that are the Lauren Boeberts, Madison Cawthorns, you know, Marjorie Taylor Greene, the Matt Gaetzes, the Jim Jordans, I could go on and on. You're never going to change who they are. And it's not like they changed back to what they could be because the former guy was gone. It's not like they were like, oh, my God, he's gone. Now I'm okay. Now I'm back in a safe place. No, there's still this pull. And so I just don't think it's worth my effort. And, And I'm not trying to write off people. I'm not dehumanizing them. I just don't think you're worth my energy. Katie, can I just quibble with you, though, in in one way, which is I think we're living in such a tough time that we only see this moment and we don't see the long line of history. And I'm reminded that, that George Wallace, who was in favor of segregation, who stood um, in the schoolhouse doorway in the city that you grew up in as— well, I guess not. He wasn't in Tuscaloosa, Tuscaloosa. but he, he was actually yeah, the stand in the schoolhouse door was yeah. in Tuscaloosa. And later in life, George Wallace saw the air of his ways rather forcibly at the hands of folks really? who changed the Democratic Party in Alabama. But he rejected his mm-hmm. segregationist ways. More importantly, wow. more importantly, the generations that followed him in his family rejected those ways and became a positive force for change. So I think even when things feel hopeless and we're frustrated, we have to still be willing to plant seeds. And we have to know where that line is, right? For our, for our own health, we have to be willing to walk away like I sometimes am. And we have to know when, when is it the right time to, to plant seeds or to find commonality like what you were talking about, Mary, the, the wisdom that you got from Jane Fonda. 
I may disagree with you about a whole lot of things, but let me find this one issue that we can still talk to about because all's not lost, if not in this generation, then in our kids' generation. I love that. What got George Wallace, what happened in the society, do you think, that got him to see the error of his ways? I mean, what happened between the year he said, segregation now, segregation forever, um, and when he realized it was wrong? I mean, in other words, are we going to go through another, you know, are we back to another civil rights, voting rights movement with violent clashes again? Or what, what will it take because the the trend seems to be moving in the everyone owning guns, um, and we don't have the guns. And I, I don't know. I mean, I wanna I wanna be hopeful. So, what are the things? Is there stuff we need to do on the ground? Is this Voting Rights Act restoration the answer? I mean, does the Shelby County decision bring us to where we are now? And how do we undo it? Maybe as well. Yeah, I'm Joyce. Before you jump in, oh. I I'm going to jump in. Okay, um, sorry because Mary. I want to keep you forever, but I can't. So um, I think it would be a, a great way, and I can't, we didn't even get to talk about chickens, which breaks my heart, but for another <laughs> um, as To end, I, what I'd like is for, to ask everybody a version of what Jen said, just what is the one thing you think is most vitally important for not for elected Democrats to do, because I don't know how much of an influence we have over them, um, but for us as individuals or as a group uh, to do, to encourage people to, to change, uh, to put the brakes on this, this terrible uh, ride we're on. Uh, so uh, said Jen was initially asking Joyce, Joyce, why don't you kick that off? Oh, that's, that's good. Put that on me to answer and resolve our global yep. dilemma in one <laughs> sentence. Look, yep. I think um, the best thing that we can do is to support each other and help everybody figure out what is their sphere of influence? What is their area of impact? It might be showing up at your local school board meeting to support people who have been, you know, threatened for, for doing that very important work mm-hmm. and letting them know that they have community support. It might be registering voters. It might be volunteering to work on initiatives to restore public health in our country. But but I deeply believe that everybody can get involved, whether that's phone banking in elections or, or something that just has nothing to do with politics. Uh, we need to really recommit to, this is something that you said to me, Mary, to our personal relationship with this country and with democracy, because like all relationships, it's not easy. And if you don't tend to it, it falters and we need to recommit. Yeah, I, that's... I'm all over that. Um, Katie. I, I think, what is that phrase? That's one of my favorites. Doesn't mean I necessarily f- follow it. I try. Um, what, isn't it work smarter, not harder? Yeah, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, good, yes. good. Right? That's good. That, that's what we yeah. have to do, whether we want to make change in 2022, 2024, or, you know, for our, our kids and, and our other, you know, grandchildren and everybody. I think we need to work smarter, not harder. And I think that we need to try every trick in the playbook 
And I think that we need to not be exclusionary in terms of how we tackle problems. And I think that um, common ground, yes, is a great unifying tool, but I also think that um, sometimes you have to be a little Machiavellian. Sometimes you have to say, I need to get to that result and I need to figure out how to get there. I'm fully confident that we'll do it legally, we'll do it ethically. I just think that we have to be really smart. We have to be smarter about what we're doing because sometimes I feel like we're Sisyphus. Sometimes I feel like we have the same damn conversations all the time, the same complaints, the same musings, the same kind of like almost aspirational kind of conversations. And I love them, but it gets a little old. So we need to kind of, yeah. you know, be a little bit smarter about how we turn the page and we and we launch 2022. And that's kind of my two cents, yeah. I think, on what, what we need to be doing. Yeah. I also Katie agree. is very um, wise. Lisa. She is <laughs> wise beyond her very really? few years. Really? Look at these gray hairs. <laughs> oh, stop. <laughs> you're not allowed. To, uh, yeah. You're not allowed to do that. Great. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay, I will attempt to follow very, very wise. But um, I I, want to riff off something that Joyce said, which was talking about um, our own individual personal relationships with this country. And I really feel that one of the things we need to do, one of the things I would want to focus on is to Katie's point, creating a very simple message. I feel and have always felt that the Republicans have always gotten the cheap and easy messages, right. you know, hey, lifts taxes, hey, yeah, abortion's right. terrible. And they kind of go with that. And we need to create that very simple, very, you know, clear, wear a seatbelt, don't smoke sort of message. Right. It, and it put it work. on an apron. And put it on an apron, damn it. Oh, um, that's but also, good. That's good. <laughs> I like that. But I really think we need to... Um, engage uh, kids and uh, people in their early 20s who don't feel like they have a personal relationship with this country and are really giving up. I think that's a huge, huge group of people that if they were taught, encouraged to have a personal relationship with this country, um, it would benefit us all. Yeah, absolutely. I like that. Jen? I do too. Hopefully this is all being recorded. (laughs) (laughs) You think? I really hope so. (laughs) Jen? Oh, my gosh. Um, So kind of gleaning from what everyone has said so far, I want to be, as Katie said, results-focused. So what is my result? The Senate is in jeopardy. But how do I affect that? This goes to Joyce. I've got to figure out what is my sphere of influence. I don't know. That's the hard part. I don't know where to put my time and energy Um, I also heard Marissa said about kids. So I think what I need to figure out, I got this, um, I got a map in the mail from, you know, one of these fundraising things. And it just said, it's, you can see this, it was, you know, the Democratic National Committee, whatever, they send these things. And it says 2022 House Majority Battlefield. But I want something like this that has the Senate. I want a map. Right, right. That's great. And then I want to figure out. Who are the people in those states, whether, you know, if it's Georgia, I know, you know, Stacey Abrams is obviously running for governor and there's not just her organization, but I have friends on the ground there. Um, what are they doing? How can I help there? Like, you know, Michigan, is that one? Where the, I don't even know which states are up for grabs. And I only want to focus on 
those states. I've just finally realized, look, I only want to think about winning and how I can help win. And people tell me, you're not that helpful. Could you please just send a check? Then that, and I'm not going to send, and I don't have unlimited money. So I have, and you know, I'm not going to give any money to anything other than that, you know, or whatever it is. I'm thinking really carefully, but the hardest part is I don't know the zone of a sphere of influence um, at all. So I've got to figure that out. Yeah. And then be strategic, which is absolutely, you know, we need to be laser focused in this terribly short, as Katie said, we have a very short runway here. Um, Eugene, and I hope this phrase is not trademarked, but I'm going to give you the last word. Oh, <laughs> see what I did there? I like I'm, it. I'm personally going to hold Donald Trump accountable to what he did to me and to all the other women in the United States. I have got Robbie Kaplan, one of the greatest attorneys on the face of the earth, and Joshua Matz. Truly, the two best civil rights lawyers in the nation. And we are going to pursue him, not only with the defamation suit, but with the Survivors Act as soon as the New York State Legislature passes it, And we are going to hold him accountable, not for what he said about the rape, but for the rape itself. And that's my agenda for 2022. That's one of my favorite things right there. And I have to say that personally, for reasons I'm not going to go into, but I think, Eugene, your case is one of the most important, Mm -hmm. much more important than mine. I absolutely believe that. And now we come to uh, one of my favorite parts of the show, other than talking to these extraordinary women. And that's when I get to answer your questions. But to make it even better, Marissa, Eugene, and Jen were able to stay, and they're going to help me answer them. So I want to start with what is kind of a fun question. Um, It's, uh, would you rather see Donald poor or in prison? (laughs) What do you think, Marissa? Oh, um... I think if you go to prison, then you get both. So I'm kind of voting. Well, he can have, it can be, there can be deprivations. I just want to make sure he goes to the right kind of prison and not like country club prison. Right. That's a very good distinction. That's what I would vote for. Yeah. Although. Rikers, perhaps. Oh, good one. Good one. Rikers. Although I will say that on an Earl, on my podcast, Earlier this week, I talked to Charles Finch, and we tried to create the um, recreate the eight the rings of hell from Dante's Inferno, and how we would treat modern politicians and what would happen to them in the afterlife. And one of the suggestions was from Charles Finch that Donald would have to end up living with um, some MAGA supporters, ah. so maybe a little down on their luck, and he would have mm. to pr- live with them forever and wear their clothes. Have a, you know, use a non-gilded toilet, that sort of thing. Yeah. So that doesn't come directly answer it, but it's no, sort of, I think it speaks good. to the, the question. Yeah. And I, I just want to clarify something I was kidding. I, nobody, nobody deserves to be in a place like Rikers. It should be leveled to the ground and uh, yeah. we should start. Well, hopefully whatever. Will be, don't actually. get, let's not get started on that issue. Uh, Jen, what do you think? Prison? Poverty? Poverty. Yeah. I don't think he could. Handle it. You know, if you dropped him in Astoria, Queens, with no money, 
no job, no connections. I don't think it'd last a week. Eugene? A dungeon. Chained to the wall of a dungeon being gnawed on by rats. Oh, whoa. I was very dark, very quickly, very 1984. Um, Okay. Uh, You seem a little on the fence about it, but I think we can kind of sense (laughs) what you really think underneath all of that. Okay. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. Okay. The next question is from Dan. And he asks, how much of Donald's success has been dependent on his natural ability to charm his supporters? Not everybody can manipulate a mark so easily to sway people to hand over their hearts, minds, loyalty, and wallets. Can Ron DeSantis really replicate this charm, or is it easy? Can anybody succeed by following the fear, hate, and resentment playbook? Um, I, I want to kick this off by saying credit where credit is due. That is something you can absolutely say about Donald. He has that charisma it does not the the four of us are immune to it but if you are in his presence in the first five seconds you'll you will understand that it that it exists and that a lot of people obviously find it compelling um so let's focus on the second question because i i'm pretty sure we all agree uh on the the fact that there is that charisma there um Now, is it easily replicable? And is there anybody in the Republican Party you think that that can take his place, considering as we've I think we've all we all agree, Trumpism, so-called, has moved beyond Donald. Jen, what do you think? Two things. DeSantis is a wet washcloth. But the thing about charisma is it's not about replicating it. Some people have it. Some people don't. So the thing that scared the crap out of me back in the summer of 2020 uh, – sorry, of 2008 was Sarah Palin. Mm, she right, was right. the pre-Trump she, Trump. Ooh, she showed up and uh, I was stunned at how compelling she was oh, to watch. Very, very. And I was worried – and I think the um, I think McCain, you know, might have won. You know, might have won, but he kind of everything happening with the crash of the markets, all these right. different things went on, and Obama won. But you know, she had charisma. She doesn't have power anymore, and she doesn't have it anymore. But she was something like that. So I don't know. I mean, I think someone else could do it. There are a lot of people who could do it if they wanted to. Um, you know, there are a lot of people, celebrities and so on, who, who really concern me, but it's not DeSantis. I mean, the no. good news is he's, you know, he's, he's dull and robotic. Um, right. so right. no, not him. Okay. Eugene? I'm going to pass on answering that. Okay. Marissa? Um, I, uh, while Jan was talking, I mean, I was focusing, but well, <laughs> what I was also doing was sort of- You were multitasking. Uh, yeah, I'm it's great capable. Um, I was also trying to do running through a list of Republican politicians that I can th- could I that I could think of, and I was trying to see if they had any of that charm. And I was like, mm, Ted Cruz, no. Josh Hawley, no. I saw the way he kissed his wife; that was definitely not charming. Um, Marco Marco Rubio, um, Louis Gohmert, no, there's the charmer. And then I started thinking about the women, Marjorie Taylor Greene. No, I can't even. Th- I mean, Matt Gates. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really see them. And then I, I wondered, does somebody know about a, a great 
Republican governor out there that has the charm factor going for them? Or is it going to be like Jen said, like some celebrity, some NASCAR yeah. person yeah. who's like, yes. Right. Yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't see anybody. You know, people no. have asked me about my cousins. I'm like, are you kidding? <laughs> you know, because yeah. one thing about Donald is he does, uh, he does have a unique position, obviously. And, and I didn't mean replicable. I meant there are other people who have charisma. If you don't have it, you're not going to get it. It's just, it's, it's a phenomenon. Um, but he also had... 50 years of media exposure and a myth that was allowed to spring up uh, that apparently anybody outside of the tri-state area fell for. Uh, Nobody else on the scene right now has any of that. Uh, So I do think it, it, it's an interesting, it's interesting to see. It's interesting. Where, where, May I? I'm sorry I passed on that question because now I have the answer. Okay. If you switched parties and became a Republican, I think you could get the nomination for the Republicans. I'm serious. I'm dead serious, Mary. Wow. Okay. Let's think well, about. Let's think about this. We'll put you in. You'll be a seek. You'll be our secret weapon. I'll I'll be the uh, the Manchurian yes. candidate. That's exactly yeah. it. And we get you the nomination of the Republican Party. And I say, hey, Hillary Clinton. So congratulations, <laughs> President Clinton. It's, you have a lot of charisma. I know in real life you're shy. You're very shy. But you have uh, – people will follow you, as we all know. Uh, so this but is my plan. I think Republicans you, hate yeah, me. Yeah, just say just they say hate you hate my guts. Oh, I've seen the light. You've seen the light. You'll be like ah. a black. You'll be like a black person who decides to become a Republican. That's going to be you. So <laughs> you'll just you'll just see the light. You'll become a Republican, and they will go for you in droves. I promise everybody's going to be like Mary. Blink twice. Um, yeah, oh, I, I don't, love it. I don't see that there you happening. Go. Um, but you're the uh, one person. You're the one person. You're the one person in the United States because your cousins <laughs> can't do it. You know, Marjorie Taylor Greene can't do it. Matt Gatz can't do it. Mary Trump could do it, but you just have to sell the lie that you've turned Republican. But Mary she Trump can't would need lie, to want so to. that's the problem, Eugene. Uh, yeah, it's not, it's not made up. It's not part of I her. I mean, I can. I'm a, an exceptionally good liar, but I don't. Uh oh. <laughs> and I would never. Maybe lie. you could do it. Ooh, I might be lying now. No, seriously. Like I, <laughs> I just, it would mean. I, I, I think it. I would just like totally blow up my say, life. <laughs> yeah, but that would be okay because you would save your country. Oh, no pressure. <laughs> Why? Well, As the least we have to create the t-shirts. Mary Trump for president. <laughs> yes! I love it! But, hey. it, you know, it is true. I could only run as a Republican because I... Yeah. I, it, if we don't start yeah. nominating qualified civil servants like I, I, I mean we we need to put the brakes on the whole reality show and then mary if you run for president all your old friends that that you dropped and dropped you all your old friends you know they would they would like that yeah you just gave me another reason not to do this but <laughs> okay all right all right okay. i will take it under advisement okay um <laughs> okay so 
this is from Sharon. I remember thinking it was great that CNN was starting and how well-informed we would be. Instead, the quest for eyeballs has meant no research and pure sensationalism. What do you think of bringing back the fairness doctrine and toughened FCC rules over how media companies operate as a partial solution? Eugene? I'd like to see um, Jeannie Most back on the air. You know, she always did this really uh, great Americana packages at the end of Anderson Cooper. I think we need that stabilizing interest uh, back on the air because CNN is either their panel shows are ridiculous. Yeah. And Jeannie Most is the only one at CNN who talks with any sense. Mm -hmm. So... That's. Don't yeah. ask me about CNN, please. I just. Yeah, I, I I hear you, Marissa. Um, I would like to see it employed. Yeah, sure. I think the fairness doctrine should be employed. Look at OAN and Newsmax right. and Fox. Um, yeah. Not a whole lot of journalism, actual journalism, as we define journalism, going on there. Right, Jen. I think I'm going to pass on this one because of the – I'd have to do – it's a legal question, and I would have to do a little more legal research as to what it actually covers now, what that would look like, and so on. So It's so much easier being somebody who doesn't know stuff about the yeah. law because we can yeah. just Jeez. opinionate yeah. and yeah. <laughs> suffer no consequences. Right. Um, so I, I'm just going to temper mine by saying if Jen discovers something about <laughs> the law that is not cool – then I changed my answer. Okay. Uh, all right. Last question from Hesse. It's always infuriating to me that men are conspicuously absent from the subject and angst of abortion. As the ones who impregnate, where are the men in the conversation? It's women, women, women all the time. Where the blazes are the men in all this? It appears the impregnators are protected and playing duck and cover behind a rock. Jen. Oh, my gosh. Um I mean, I, I'm thinking about the men that I know who are active in the conversation. Um, but, you know, I think it's, you know, part of human nature that people tend to center, um, center their, you know, if you have a, if you have privilege or power or resources in a certain area, you can take them for granted. So I think that men, um, sometimes, you know, if you are, um, not if you're not a person who can get pregnant, then um, maybe you're just not thinking. I mean, I think not thinking about the consequences. But I, I, you know, maybe I'm not the right person to answer this because every man I know, I think would would care right. about that issue. Right. Um, so, you know, to some degree, I don't really think that they should be part of it at all. I mean, I don't really think that a person who doesn't get pregnant should really have no say whatsoever about what goes on in the body of the person who is pregnant, because I think you have autonomy over your own body until at least um, viability, if not beyond. So I don't think a non-pregnant person, I think they should stay out of it and she up to the pregnant person. So, Mm -hmm. um, and as for, and they should therefore be in solidarity with people who can get pregnant um, and support choice. Um, That's so, yeah, I mean, I'm kind of glad that the men I know are just, don't have a lot of opinions. They just support what I think right. on that topic. Okay. Marissa? I agree completely with Jen. Yeah. Eugene? I think women have to do everything. <laughs> yeah. That's it. The future of the human race really is up to women. It's really, yeah. we, we, it's up to us to save this thing. 
It's up to us to save the country, frankly. Uh, we have to... Uh, 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 that's, that's it. Yeah, that has become starkly clear. I mean, I, I always thought that, but it's become starkly clear in the last five years and certainly vis-a-vis COVID. You know, just oh. think about women-led countries. And how oh, they and the workers and women are now the safety net of America. They're the ones who are doing the child care, the health care, the driving, the this. It's that, you know, as the Republicans have doomed all these extra spending and doing away with the safety net, who's taking over the safety net? It's the women. It's the women. You know, they're taking yeah. these low salaries. They're taking care of the babies, the children, the hospital, mm-hmm. the sick. Um, and supposed to be doing all this volunteer work. Yes, yes. And organizing right. and getting out the yeah. vote and yeah. going to marches and Right, right. No, really. Yeah. And protecting our bodies. Yeah, oh, yeah. exactly. But it's yeah. not that we can't do it. We can do it. Yeah. We can do it. Yeah, really just some, some of the shit we shouldn't have to do anymore. Yeah. But just just really quickly getting back to the question, I, th- I, I think it was more about, like, why is it, you know, totally – not the woman's responsibility, but it's like, you know, women just get immaculately, sorry, immaculately conceive. And oh, there's no right. sense of, like, it's all their fault, I think. Um, so I, anyway, uh, I think the, the bottom line is my body, my choice. It's that's a decision right. between me and my doctor. And that's um, right. That's it. Right. On. Um, and let's keep that. Let's keep that slogan. My body, my choice only to apply to a, abortion, a woman's right to choose and right. not say to vaccination. Like yeah, that oh. woman. but that's again, and that's a conversation for another time, but I think Jen was talking oh. about this earlier, how the, the Republicans are so good at co-opting language, oh. manipulating language. But uh, again, before we, our heads explode, <laughs> let's, let's leave on the note of, you know, uh, solidarity, um, and hope. I, I'm not exaggerating, and I'm I'm not just saying this. And I promise, Eugene, it won't devolve into a love fest. Um, but I, I <laughs> honestly, one of the things that's gotten me through this year is this group. Mm-hmm. Um, you make me better. You make me smarter. You make me kinder. Um, and you do give me hope. Uh, so, I mean, if, if only personally that, wow, you can be 56 years old and find people who, who yeah. you know are going to be like your, among your closest friends for the rest right. of your life. So that's pretty Unless cool. you switch parties and then fuck you, Mary, because I don't. <laughs> I won't. I won't if do it. If that happens, uh, commit me. To a psych hospital. That would, that would be my Can suggestion. I join you? I need a break from all this. Yeah, tell me about it, man. <laughs> all right. <The> um, <laughs> I think that's like the new, new podcast, The Michigan Hour. <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> I want to thank all of you so much for listening to The Mary Trump Show. With me, Mary Trump, and some of my favorite people at the intersection of politics, activism, and culture. Please send your questions to me for next week's show by email, all one word, the Mary Trump show at politicon.com. I really want to hear from you because your voices are what matters here. Follow the Mary Trump show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. And please give us a five-star review because it really helps other people find the show. See you all next week.